Episodes of Idolo are presented in both English and Spanish. This is the English version. Si quieres escuchar en español, vuelve al feed y selecciona el título en español. This podcast contains graphic language, scenes of violence, and drug use that are not suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. Episode 6 of Fame and Narcos. There's a viral photo of Chalino meeting Tupac. Maybe you've seen it. It looks so real to me. But it's not real. They didn't really meet while they were alive. But maybe now they're hanging out in Thug's mansion, which Tupac rapped about. The heaven for gangsters. A spot where we can smoke in peace. And even though we cheesing in my mind's eye, I see this place the players going past. I got a spot for us all so we can ball at Thug's mansion. The fact that somebody took the time to fake this photo in and of itself tells you something about how important Chalino is, especially in Los Angeles. Tupac is a symbol of this city, and Chalino, in many ways, is up there with him. To be honest, it's eerie how similar Tupac and Chalino's stories feel sometimes. Both men were introduced to violence at a young age. Both of them survived time in prison. Both of them use music as a way to tell stories from their communities. And both of these men survived getting shot while doing their jobs as musicians and somehow came back stronger. In Tupac's case, it was in the lobby of Quad Studios in New York. He was shot five times by unknown assailants. It was the event that is thought to have sparked the East Coast-West Coast rap beef. Tupac's injuries were serious. But he came back and signed to Death Row and released his mega hit, California Love. For Chalino, it was the Coachella shootout on stage that he barely survived. For him, there was also a new record label and a mega hit about unrequited love called Las Nieves de Nero. Just like Tupac, Chalino was about to reach a whole new level of fame. But in the world Chalino lived in, the world of the mafia, Fame has its price, and it's not cheap. For Futuro Studios and Sonoro, in association with Sin Miedo Productions, I'm Eric Galindo, and this is Idolo, the Ballad of Chalino Sanchez, a show about the man who would become known as the godfather of narco corridos, whose life would become its own kind of legendary drug ballad. It's 1992, and Chalino's laying in bed, recuperating. He's hanging on a thread for his dear life from the gunshots he received a few months earlier at the nightclub. But while he recovers, something unexpected happens. The sales of his cassette tape start shooting up, as does his popularity. Chalino was already known as someone who wasn't afraid to sing about the lives of outlaws, a subject many musicians kept away from on purpose. And if anyone thought this shootout would make him go away, they were dead wrong. Because it did the opposite. The shooting only solidified his legend. And the rumors about his street cred ran across the land. 
he was in, in the drug business. Uh, he was a gangster. He was crazy. <laughs> he wouldn't back down. That's Donny Robles, musician and lifelong Chalino fan. The shootout showed that Chalino wasn't just talking about violence. He was capable of violence himself. The same way Tupac getting shot five times solidified his legend as a real G and set up his music career, the same thing happened with Chalino. Just like Pac, Chalino was selling stories about gangster life. And for the audience, his songs were hood, raw, real, and they paralleled 90s-era West Coast rap lyrics. Here's Donnie's brother Raul Robles, who I like to call an amateur Chalino scholar. If you listen to what he was saying to his lyrics, it was more gangster than any rap song I've ever heard. He was definitely about that life. He was about that life because he didn't go into hiding, he didn't retire, he went right back to doing his thing. Back home in Sinaloa, Chalino's legend was growing as well. All of a sudden, everyone was asking about this paisano who was involved in a shootout and then went on to survive despite being hit multiple times. Radio stations started playing his music, especially his hit Nieves de Nero, which reverberated through speakers throughout Sinaloa. And something important to point out, Chalino's repertoire didn't just include narco corridos. Like most Mexican machos, Chalino was a hopeless romantic. Nieves de Nero was first released in 1954 in a ranchera version with mariachis. Ya se fueron las nieves de invierno y llegaron las flores de mayo. Then in 1969 as a Tejano version. The song was written by Mario Molina Montes and first performed by Miguel Aceves Mejia. But without a doubt, Chalino's version is the most famous one. And it's his biggest song. His version is a classic of the regional Mexican genre. The song tells us a story of a man who asks a woman to marry him. The woman tells the man to wait until the snows of January arrive, and then I'll marry you. Desperate and deep in love, the man waits through the January snowfalls and May blooming of flowers. The woman avoids him at every step. Now a year has passed, and he catches on that she doesn't really intend to marry him in the end. Yet because of his love for her, he decides to wait a few more years. Heartbroken, he tells her he's finally ready to move on, but not before telling her she broke her promise. Yo, when I was in high school, I had a crush on this girl named Amy, who was originally from Sinaloa. I found out way too late that Amy was not into me, but she was a G. She would let me buy her things, take her to eat, do her homework, stuff like that. But that was about it. Then one day, I decided to take my shot. I got drunk and showed up to her family Christmas party, singing Las Nieves de Nero, all dramatico, accompanied with the small banda and shit. And you know what? It worked. 
Nah, I'm just kidding. She still didn't fuck with me. But honestly, it was okay. If unrequited love was good enough for Chalino, it was good enough for me. The song is so universal. Because if there's something we all have in common, it's that we have probably gotten our hearts broken at some point. We all know what that rock bottom feels like. But Renee Gaust, a Mexican-American singer-songwriter and proud member of the LGBT community, thinks the Nieves and Neto lyrics are stuck in a time when women couldn't voice their opinion. So she wrote her own version. And I told the song from the perspective of the woman sort of singing back to him. And I thought that that would be really powerful, you know? The woman's like, well, maybe I don't want to be with you. Basically, Chalino's saying, like, you're not even looking at me, right? Like, I've been waiting for you for so long and you're not even looking at me. And so what I replied in my version was like, it's been so long and you're still expecting me to look at you, you know? You're still, like, talking the same talk, even though I've been clear to you that I don't want to be with you. No me gustan los In Renee's version, the woman in the story finally has a voice. And she answers him that she doesn't like machos. And that's why she doesn't want to be with him. I just really enjoy the melody and the song form and stuff and the phrasing. But sometimes the message isn't there for me. I aim to do these little tweaks. Unlike most of Chalino's corridos, Nieves de Nero was a love song that so many people could relate to. And it introduced Chalino to a larger audience. Prácticamente nadie te puede decir que no conoce la canción de las nieves de enero. Journalist Silver Mesa says that everybody knows Nieves de Enero. Se escuchó en los estéreos Kenwood a todo volumen, en las casas, colonias populares regularmente, pero también lo escuchabas en cada crucero en los carros. You'd hear the song blasting from the loudest Kenwood speakers in Culiacán, in everyone's home. And coming out of cars at every intersection, it was on that level. Although Chalino's career was taking off in the weeks after the Coachella shooting, Maricela, his wife, remembers that time differently. For her, it was a nightmare. These were tough times for the young mother of two, but she put her faith in God. Her husband, the father of her children, that stubborn and unpredictable man, was fighting for his life. Fue muy difícil porque sí era muy crítica la situación, pero gracias a Dios y a su juventud, he was in critical condition, she says. But thanks to God and his youth, Chalino lived to see another day. It was a bad situation, but good came out of it. 
sí nos dimos cuenta de que había mucha gente que lo quería, había mucha gente ya que lo miraba como un ídolo. Maricela says that after the shooting, they realized there were many people who loved Chalino, who looked at him as an idol. Había mucha gente que estaba rezando por la vida de él. Nos dimos cuenta de que, de que tenía mucho público. Y la popularidad ya la tenía, pero nosotros no nos dábamos cuenta. Él no se daba cuenta. Entonces él lo único que hacía era ir y cantar y, y desenvolverse de la mejor manera. Before, Chalino hadn't even realized how big he was getting. He was so focused on performing and his music. And now there were people praying for him to recover. After two months healing, Chalino was ready to hit the ground running, shut the haters up, and enjoy his newfound fame. Even though a bullet had perforated one of his lungs, Chalino decided to give an interview in March of 1992 to a local TV show called Noches de Taconazo, almost two months after the shooting. Pero Chalino Sánchez estuvo a punto de perder la vida. ¿Hace aproximadamente cuánto tiempo, Chalino? Va a ser dos meses ahora, el 24. In the video, Chalino looks relaxed and playful. He's wearing his famous Kagi Tejana, an open chest green button-up to show his thick golden chain. And on his wrist, he has a golden bracelet. The guy looks fucking dope. Hay mucha gente que tiene toda la creencia que te moriste. Sí, que todavía está ahí en el, encerrado en el círculo que piensan que ya me morí, que ya me velaron, que ya me enterraron, pero... The host tells Chalino that there are rumors saying that he died after the shooting. Chalino addresses the rumors with a smile on his face and his index finger in the air. Ah, 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 he signals, no. Pero nada, aquí está vivito y coleando, eh? Y cantando también. Chalino had cheated death. He was anxious to start singing again. So he announced his return to the stage. There would be three shows back-to-back -back at one of his favorite venues, El Paral. ¿Qué tal, mis amigos? Les habla su amigo Chalino Sánchez para invitarlos a bailar al Parral. Donde estaremos este viernes, sábado y domingo. La cita es en el Parral. Los esperamos. News of his return to stage spread like wildfire. The tickets were sold out at El Parral. People lined up so early that by 6 p.m. they had to close the doors due to capacity. The place was packed. Chalino was back. The next two shows went exactly the same. Both were sold out. Chalino era una persona que nunca demostraba miedo. Si lo tenía, nomás él lo sabía. No dudo que lo haya tenido, pero nunca nos lo demostró. Chalino's widow Maricela says she has no doubt that Chalino was scared. But even if he was, he never showed it. Él era una persona muy creyente y él decía, cuando Dios Padre decida, es cuando va a suceder. Ese era su dicho. Chalino was a man of faith, Maricela says. Only God decides when death will happen. That was his saying. Chalino was a wanted man, but this time, not by the law, by the record labels. He received a seductive offer from a then-Mexican label called Musart, whose roster included Antonio Aguilar and Joan Sebastian. Chalino accepted. This label took Chalino to new heights. Musart bought Chalino's music rights for what would be an equivalent of $226,000 today. Considering how big he became, it was scraps. But for a man that came from nothing, this was a lot of money. This was enough money for Chalino to buy a new house for his young family. 
Muchas veces lo miré pensativo, pensando que tenía que dejar un lugar seguro para sus hijos, que tenía que dejar un futuro seguro para sus hijos. Marisela says that there were many times in that period that Chalino seemed pensive, thinking about how to leave a future for his kids. Chalino was setting up his family for a comfortable life. Empezó a hablar con sus hijos, empezó a hacer muchas cosas que realmente eh, no había hecho antes. He started forming a closer bond with his kids, spending time with them, talking to them more, something that he really hadn't done before. The show at Coachella was a wake-up call. After all, how many times can you cheat death? Yo creo que fue un suceso que le despertó la conciencia a un nivel donde, pues, arregló muchas cosas en su vida. Chalino seemed to be getting his affairs in order, as if he knew something was going to happen to him. With Chalino's growing success, it meant he was more of a target. And it seemed like Chalino knew the risk, and that sooner or later, his bullet would come. But when you move in the world of the narco, no matter how stealth you are, the truth is, death is never far. In a country where 80% of the population is Catholic, Faith finds a way to infiltrate, even in the darkest places in Mexico. And yes, even narcos have their own saint. In Culiacán, Sinaloa, you will find one of the few chapels dedicated to the demi-saint, Jesús Malverde. I say demi-saint because Jesús Malverde has not yet been recognized by the Roman Catholic Church. It's actually not even known if Malverde, the person, actually existed. But the cult around him shows just how deep narco culture has become. Jesús Malverde es un santo popular a la cual muchísima gente de Sinaloa le muestra reverencia. El campesino, el agricultor, del ranchero, del narcotráfico, está ligado al santo. This is Chuy Gallardo, a music manager from Culiacán. He says that in Sinaloa, Malverde is worshipped by ranchers and farmers, everyday people, and yeah, narcos. And what makes Malverde peculiar is the types of miracles he performs. La gente va ahí y de repente vas a ver tanto como un rezo de una familia por haber eh, apoyado a, a soltar a alguien que estuvo preso, ¿no? O alguien que cometió un, una fechoría por ahí. Chuy says that people come to pray to Malverde to free their friends or relatives from jail, for example. And how do you thank the saint of the narcos in Culiacán? You bring him music and drinks. Duh. Es un lugar que a la gente le gusta jalar mucho la banda o el conjunto norteño como muestra de agradecimiento y la borrachera también, eh, por algo que Jesús Malverde les cumplió. Malverde is more than a saint. He's a local celebrity. On the way to the chapel on the streets, you can find people selling shirts and hats with his image, keychains if you want to be more discreet about it, and even a Loteria card game. The chapel is small, with a low ceiling and claustrophobic vibe. There are pictures of random people all over the walls, 
thank you letters and dollars to thank him for his miracles. At the center, there's a bust of a man wearing a white button-up shirt with a black bow tie. He's sporting a thick black mustache and his eyes feel like they're looking directly at you. That man is Jesus Malverde. Here's Rolling Stone writer Isabella Regosa. Jesus Malverde is actually officially the saint patron of the poor of the narcos. And that's because he also had a similar like background who was a poor man. But basically they looked at him as Robin Hood, like Rob from the rich to feed the poor. According to the legend, a governor once offered a reward for the head of this Sinaloan Robin Hood. Malverde was captured in prison. He is said to have been executed in 1909 on May 3rd, which has become his saint's day. It's believed that the relationship between Jesus Malverde and drug traffickers arose in the 1970s. According to popular belief, an alleged Sinaloan capo ordered his own son killed because he betrayed him. The capo's son was shot several times. Wounded, he was thrown into the sea and left for dead. Dying in a drift, the capo's son prayed to Malverde. Soon after, a fisherman showed up and rescued him. The story circulated among people in the criminal world who started to revere the saint. You can't help but to think that someone at some point prayed to Malverde to save Chalino's life after his first shooting back in Coachella. If it was not Maricela, his wife, surely one of his followers came to light a candle for him. But in a place like Culiacán, you need a lot of candles and more than one Malverde to survive if you're involved with drug traffickers. Yo siempre digo que yo no trabajo con Malverde por hacer apología al narco, güey, sino como una historia más personal. This is Wachabato, an artist from Sinaloa. La historia dice que Malverde no hace milagros, güey, hace favores. Malverde doesn't perform miracles, says Wachabato. He gives favors. Malverde does these favors without questioning ethics or morals because he too was abandoned. He doesn't judge. That's why it's common for drug traffickers to ask him for successful drug deals or help them move product. Although small, the chapel is a lively place. You can sometimes find musicians there who, like Chalino, have lived in the space between music and drug trafficking. And sometimes you can hear these musicians play homage to the artists that helped lead the way with narco corridos, Chalino Sanchez. The rise in popularity made Chalino's connection to the drug world more complicated. In Culiacán, to be related to a drug cartel, you don't need to move weight or make hits. Although, don't get me wrong, those rumors about Chalino exist. Sometimes you just need to be famous. Like Julio Cesar Chavez, former world champion boxer from Sinaloa, who, during an interview on Jordi Rosado's YouTube channel, recounted having been to parties with the most wanted drug lords simply because they wanted to meet him. Entonces, imagínate, llegaban dos, tres suburban, repleta de gente armada. Oye, ¿te quieres conocer el patrón? Ay, si no iba, pues me llevaban. Entonces, pues mejor hacer amigos que enemigos, ¿me entiendes? 
Imagine, Chavez says, two, three Suburbans arrive at your home full of armed people. One person shouts, hey, the boss wants to meet you. If I decline, he says, they take me either way. So better to make friends than enemies, he adds. Here are the people Chavez hung out with the night he won one of the biggest fights of his career against Macho Camacho. Los Arellano Félix. Estaba el Guaro Palma. Estaba Amado Carrillo, Señor de los Cielos. Estaba el Chapo Guzmán. Estaba el Azul, Esparragosa. Estaba el Mayo Zambada. That's more than a thousand years of prison in one room. Something very similar could have happened to Chalino. In fact, there's another famous singer whose fate is almost identical to that of Chalino. I'm going to tell you about it because it sheds some light on Chalino's case. Valentina Lizalde, also known as El Gallo de Oro, is believed to have been murdered for his relationship with the drug cartel. I was in college when I heard of Elizalde's death. Back then, I was discovering alcohol, partying, and having my heart broken. And Valentin had just given us one of those perfect songs to mourn that love that left. To this day, Vete Ya remains his most listened to song on music platforms. Vete ya, si no encuentras motivos para seguir conmigo, para que on November 25th, 2006, the girl I was crushing on told me Valentina Lizalde had been killed in the early hours of that Saturday. I remember having deja vu. The moment I heard of it, Chalino's death flashed in my mind. Valentina Lizalde was a Mexican regional composer and singer who was at the highest point of his career. Everyone in Mexico knew him. Like Chalino Sanchez, El Vale, as many people called him, also wrote and performed corridos and arco corridos, and had a voice that many considered to be the opposite of refined. Sound familiar? But once you listen to El Vale, you end up liking him. The last show of El Gallo de Oro was at a Palenque in Reynosa, Tamaulipas, right across the border from McAllen, Texas. Like Sinaloa, Tamaulipas is a state that has a heavy relationship with drug trafficking due to its geographical position on the border. That night, Valentina Lizarde left the Palenque in a black suburban accompanied by his driver, his manager, and a cousin. A few minutes later, around 3 a.m., a Los Zetas cartel commando intercepted them and opened fire with weapons that normally only the army has. Valentin was hit multiple times and died instantly. Like Chalino's murder, there's no official version of the reason why Valentina Lizalde was killed. The main theory is that that night he sang the wrong song in the wrong place. One of the songs that Valentina Lizalde performed that night was called Amis Enemigos, To My Enemies. It's about an important crime boss, but Tamaulipas was not the right place to sing it. Supposedly a character in this corrido was a declared enemy of Los Zetas, who controlled the plaza Valentin was singing in. It said that members of this cartel were offended because Valentin went to sing a corrido in their faces that took a shot at them directly. Keep crying, snakes. I'll take you out of the way, he sang. And although there is no certainty that Valentina Lizalde worked for a cartel, 
It's very likely that he had some kind of relationship with one. Elizalde was left riddled with holes. Days later, a video of his body lying on a metal bed at the morgue circulated on the internet. In the video, you can see a close-up of his golden boots with a rooster on them. El Gallo de Oro was no more. Just like Valentin, we know that Chalino had drug trafficking ties simply by the fact that he wrote or sang songs about so many capos. Here's a partial list. Tomás Campos, Rigo Campos, Pedro Aviles, Juan Cantú, Piero Bazán, El Bronco Fijado, Don José Castro, Toledo Félix, Juan de Real. It makes you wonder, did he know some of these kingpins personally? Or work for any of them in some way? Was he in too deep? Because with these kinds of friends, you're sure to have enemies. Ones you don't want to have. Back to California. It's two months after the Coachella shooting. After Chalino's sold-out run of shows at El Paral, he books a gig at one of his favorite places, El Farallon. The blue lights shine on the ceiling. The walls have mirrors to make the place look bigger and more crowded. At the center, there's a small stage. El Farallon looks like a nightclub Tony Montana might go to. A man in a black suit, shirt, boots, and white jeans addresses the audience. He gets on stage and grabs the mic. He starts hyping the crowd, telling them that even though this next act was the victim of a tragedy recently, he was here for everyone to see. You can hear the crowd roar. The spotlights come on and Chalino jumps up on stage. He looks better than ever, confident, happy, energetic. Of course, several security guards now protect the stage. The band plays the first notes of A Todo Sinaloa. Chalino grasps the microphone, brings it close to his mouth, and begins to sing. The song ends and the applause fills the nightclub as if it were a standing ovation at the opera. Thank you very mochis shows Chalino's Mexican-American bilingual comic relief, as Los Mochis is a town in Sinaloa, and he was a proud Sinaloense. That night, Chalino gave it his all, and the audience was in the palm of his hand. Off the stage, Chalino was seen as success as well. His songs were being played on the radio, on both sides of the border. He had signed a contract with the record label. Chalino was headed for the top. It was around this time, Chalino received an invitation to play for the first time in Culiacán, Sinaloa. His songs had finally jumped south of the border to his native land, the place where he was born. Some say he had rejected a previous invitation, but this offer was different, and Chalino was seduced. They apparently offered him $20,000 to play in Sinaloa, giving him half in advance and the rest of the money he would collect on the day of the show. It would be the last show of his life. And next episode, I'll take you there and tell you my final theory about who killed Chalino. 
don't go there, don't go there. It's not safe for you to go there right now. He ended up not listening and still went on and performed. He got into his truck with his brother and two ladies, and then he started driving. He was intercepted and detained a few minutes after that. You know, they were waiting for him. Él no tenía nada que ver por lo que lo mataron. Él se murió inocente. That's next time on Idolo, the ballad of Chalino Sanchez. This podcast is written and reported by Eric Galindo, Alejandro Mendoza, and Juan Diego Ramirez. It's edited by Marlon Bishop and Carmen Graterol, with help from Rodrigo Crespo. It's produced by Juan Diego Ramirez and Liliana Ruiz, with help from Nicole Rothwell, Evelyn Uribe, and Angelina Mosher Salazar. Executive produced for Sonoro Media by Jasmine Romero and Joshua Weinstein. For Futuro Studios by Marlon Bishop and for Sin Miedo by Eric Galindo. Sound design and mixing by Manuel Para. Original music by Hector Fernandez with the help of Alex Mendoza, Carmen Graterol, Jasmine Romero, myself, Eric Galindo, and Juan Diego Ramirez. Performed by Simon Temoxle, Javier Zabaleta, Junior Arismendi, Gerardo Albaran, and Leonardo Cano, aka Quinto Zurdo. Music supervision by Big Sync. I'm your host, Eric Galindo. He's out!